invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. We're beginning a new study this morning on what I'll call our common creed, on the confessions and the creeds that we recite week after week here at this church. But also, as you go to other churches, you'll find uh, that they recite uh, the same creeds. Uh, And so uh, it would be a good thing uh, as we, well, from time to time we run across things in those creeds that we don't quite understand, uh, things that raise uh, questions, and so I thought it would be good. Uh, Many of you have been asking about those, and so I thought it would be good for us to spend a few weeks uh, talking about those common creeds. And I want to ask this morning the question, what makes a Christian? When I was younger, I took to heart this little saying, this uh, this little rhyme Boys are made of snips and snails and puppy dog tails. And girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. No doubt you've heard that. You've recited that to your children. You've had them learn that. And I I remember learning that at a very young age and believing that boys were made of those things. Now, I don't know what a snip is, but I know what a snail is. And I know that puppy dog tails are, they wag and uh, they're very active and all of that, and from time to time, puppy dogs get dirty and they get nasty. And so in my mind, that's what little boys were like. They were energetic, and sometimes they didn't listen or obey the way that they should, and they were full of snips and snails. And girls were the exact opposite of that. They were made of sugar and spice, and everyone loves sugar and spice. And girls were made of everything nice. Well, you can imagine, much to my demise, when I ran into the Burns girls down the road from me, the twins that were two years older than me, because I thought that girls were supposed to be made of sugar and spice and all sorts of nice things. Well, the Burns girls were nothing like that. They terrorized the neighborhood. I think it was because they could team up together and make sure that all the boys were afraid of them, and I learned a very important lesson that sometimes... The way that we identify people and the way that we're taught to identify people is wrong. So girls aren't always made of sugar and spice and everything nice. And boys aren't always just made of snips and snails and puppy dog tails. But they're made of more important stuff than that. But that's a way to show for us that we have an identity. And I want to ask that question, what makes us a Christian What is the essential nature of why it is that we call ourselves Christians? And the creeds that we read attempt to do that. They attempt to give us the basic and essential beliefs of the Christian church and of every Christian. And again, our practice in this church is to recite the creeds. Uh, We alternate between the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, one that maybe isn't as familiar to many of you, uh, every other week. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, again, is we're going to look at these creeds, look at the, the, um, what they say in order for us to better understand them. I actually have three goals um, for this series. I want to deal with the troubling parts, like what does it mean that, God, that Jesus descended into hell? Uh, you won't find that idea or that phrase anywhere in the scriptures, so why do we recite it week after week? Uh, and there are other things that are uh, more troubling that are maybe hard to understand. What does it mean For example, in the Nicene Creed, that Jesus was begotten but not made. We're going to talk about those things. So I want to deal with the troubling parts, the more difficult parts of the creeds. And I want to do that for the second goal so that we're not just reciting those week after the week, but we're actually understanding 
the things that we're saying. I think that's very important. We don't do this just because that's what we've always done. We do this in order to uh, increase and grow our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We recite them together so that we can show our unity in the faith. And then thirdly, what I want to do is um, understand the vital doctrines of the church. Um, That's something I think is sorely lacking. Garland mentioned this today in Sunday school. Uh, We don't do Sunday school in order to come and then share all of our feelings. We do Sunday school so that we can learn what the Lord Jesus Christ is about and what he's like. We learn doctrine. The Christian church is all about doctrine. We don't like doctrine because if there's right doctrine, then there must be wrong doctrine. And the difficulty is that we might hold to wrong doctrine. Well, uh, we as a church want you to understand right doctrine and we want you to understand the vital doctrines of the church because that, that's the way that we're going to understand who is and is not a Christian. So this morning, let me read this to you. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Give ear to God's good and kind word to you this morning. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that was not I, but the grace of God that that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we would hear that good news today, that you would help us to understand it more and more, that you would proclaim it to our hearts, whether we are believers or non-believers, that we would hear the good news, and that all of us, our faith would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would believe in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, uh, if you look at the creeds, uh, the very beginning, if it's the Apostle Creeds, it says, I believe in, and then if you look at the Nicene Creed, it says, we believe in. This morning I want to talk about just that first, those first three words, either I believe in or we believe in. And the first thing that I want you to see is that Christians are believers. Christians are believers. And you hear that and you say, well, well duh. Duh, that's, that's, yeah, sure, all Christians believe something. And you ask, does this really need to be said? Well, yes, I do think it needs to be said that as Christians, we first and foremost believe. What makes us a Christian, it is not our church affiliation. Um, It used to be that in the South, in the United States, that on Sunday morning, 
you could go, uh, or if you drove around, you would see that the streets were empty, that no one was driving around, but that the church parking lots were full of people. In Zachary, Louisiana, 30 years ago, when I was growing up, the churches were complete, or I'm sorry, the streets were empty because everyone was at a church. And it didn't really matter what was going on, whether or not people actually believed the essential doctrines or not, but most everyone identified as a Christian simply because they went to church. And so that was Zachary circa 1985. But what about Clinton circa 2015? What about today? Well, you can look out here and there are cars passing. The streets of Clinton are full. And what are not, the things that are not full are the churches. The churches largely are empty. If you go through and you do just a quick little uh, population or demographic research, and you can do this in your heads of the churches here, the main churches, and even some of the smaller churches, there are about 2,700 people that live in the the city limits here in Clinton, maybe 10,000 people that live out in the parish. How many of those people are actually in a church this morning? Well, there's very few. No longer are we willing just to say that you are a Christian because you have some kind of church affiliation, because most everyone doesn't go to church. On top of that, does simply going to church make you a Christian? Well, the Bible says absolutely not. You are not a Christian because you go to church. Another answer that's often given, one that I heard at least three times this week from people who were outside of the church, if whether or not they were a Christian, they said, yes, I'm a Christian because I do good. And so even people who don't go to church on Sunday morning say, well, yes, I identify as a Christian. So even though I don't go to church and believe necessarily all the things that Christians are supposed to believe, I try to do my very best. And because of that, yes, I am a Christian. But, and that's the answer that I think that most people would give if you're asked what makes you a Christian, if, or, or another way to ask that question, if you were to die today and you were to go to heaven, why should God accept you into heaven? The answer that's given is not, well, because I believe in Jesus. Oftentimes it's because I try to do my very best. And as long as I'm a good person, God will accept me. But let me tell you that doing something, whether it's going to church or trying to be good, does not make you a Christian. Because Christianity is not about doing anything. Christianity is first and foremost about belief. And here's the thing. Christianity is, if we say that Christianity is about being good, well, what you're really saying is what every religion says, that you have to be good. Every religion is essentially an attempt to try to get to God. A way to climb the ladder. If I can just do enough and I can climb up to God, God is up here, I'm down here. And as long as I simply get on that ladder, or if you prefer a treadmill, if I just run enough and get to the end, well then maybe God will accept me. Religion says it's about being good, but Christianity says it's not about being good. Christianity says that it's about belief in Jesus Christ. We are Christians because, first and foremost, we believe. And the creeds teach us that, that we are identified by what we believe, not what we do. Uh, I was listening to a pastor this week talk about the creeds, and his argument was that we shouldn't recite the creeds. We should not say them because the creeds say nothing about our response to God. If you go through and look at the creeds, if you look at the Apostles' Creed, nowhere does it say, you then go do this. You go be a good person, go feed the poor, go clothe Um, those that don't have any clothing, go give shelter to those who are homeless. The Apostles' Creed don't say that. And so this this Christian uh, pastor said, we shouldn't recite them because it doesn't teach us how to be good. But again, brothers and sisters, Christianity is not how it is that we can be good. 
It's about our faith and our belief in the one who was good for us. Now, here's the thing. The world hates us for our belief. The world absolutely hates Christians because of what we believe. They do not hate us because we're good people. They do not hate us because we pay our taxes the way that we're supposed to. They do not hate us because we try to feed and clothe the homeless. They do not hate us because we're good. They hate us because the scriptures make us intolerant to the world's beliefs. Christians say we have the truth with a capital T, and we want you to have it too. And I want you to not be afraid of being called intolerant. We live in the age of tolerance where everything and everyone is accepted. But as Christians, you and I are not allowed to be tolerant of everyone and every belief and everything that comes through the doors. We must say there is a truth with a capital T. And we must not be be afraid to be called intolerant. And the days are coming and already are here when that is happening on a daily basis. When we are being told that we are intolerant. And it seems like the only intolerance that is acceptable is intolerance toward Christians. But brothers and sisters, we must stand on what we believe. It's not about what we do, but what we believe. So the question then comes up, well, what do we believe? This is point number two. That Christians are believers in the gospel. And that's what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... And the word gospel simply means good news. He says, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Christians are believers in the gospel. We do not have faith in mere faith. Mere belief is not enough. The world accepts faith. The world says that everyone has faith, and faith is enough. And as long as you have faith in your God and I have faith in my God, we can all get along. Because essentially we all have faith in the same thing, but nothing could be further from the truth. We are not Christians merely because we believe. We are Christians because we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. So what's the content of our belief? The content, the thing that we believe in, the thing that we hold to is not ourselves and what we do to get to God. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Paul says here in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He says, I've given to you, Corinthians, the things that I received as the first importance, of primary importance, the most important thing that you can hear. And this is the lasting note, the resounding note. As Paul walks away and finishes his letter, he says, I want you to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is of first importance to Christians. It is the chief and the foundation of everything else that we say and we do. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we cannot skip that message of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So what is the content? What is the good news? Paul lays it out for us very clearly. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. Look in verse 3. He mentions these things. He says that... Christ, Christ, he doesn't say that Jesus, he says that Christ, this is the Greek word translated from the Old Testament word for Messiah, that Messiah, the promised one, the anointed savior of God's people, that Christ, the one in which or in whom all of the promises of God are wrapped up, that Christ did what? That he died for our sins, 
that he died, that he was crucified. And we're told here that he died according to what the scriptures said, that this was part of God's plan and this was the plan of God from the very foundation of the world, that the Messiah would come and that he would die for his people. And we give the, we're given this little word, that Christ died for you see that little word, F-O-R? It's a word that none of you woke up thinking about today, but I want you to think about it. That Christ died for. It's, it's a little word that has so much meaning. It means on behalf of, in your place. That Christ died for you. That he died for, in your place. He stood in our place, taking the wrath of God that we deserved because of our sin. And he says, why? Why did he do this? He goes on, for our sin. He did this, taking the penalty that God had stored up for us because of our sin. Christ died for our sins. And then he says, and was raised on the third day. He was raised from the dead, given new life, so that in Christ we can have new life as well. These are the things that Christians believe. This is the good news That Jesus Christ substituted himself in our place so that we can have a standing with God. And that's why Paul says, in which you received, in which you stand. Our standing with God is not in what we do. If you go through this passage and you look at what Paul says and what we do, he doesn't say that we die for ourselves. He doesn't say that we pay the penalty for our sin. He doesn't say that we do these things, but that Christ did these things for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about his works, not our works. And so what makes up a Christian? Christians are the ones, first and foremost, of first importance that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We proclaim him, not ourselves. And notice, I say this a lot, and this is so good, that this is good news about what Christ has done. This is not good advice about what you need to do to go save yourself. Because if it's up to you to save yourself, all of you would go to hell. Brothers and sisters, it is about the good news of what he has done for you in space, in time, in history. And what you're called to do is to put your faith in his works for you. That's the good news. And that's why the creeds, if you go through and read them, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, spend the majority of their time talking about who Jesus is where he came from, what he did while he was here, and where he is now. They spend the majority of their time talking about Jesus Christ. So the second thing that we see is that Christians are believers in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to know that Christians are ones that remain believers in Jesus. Look at what Paul says in verse 2. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, Unless you believed in vain. So this is the last thing that I want you to see for today. We are saved and are justified before God by the person and work of Jesus Christ. What he has done for us. And oftentimes when we talk about how it is that we're saved. We then say, okay, okay, I get that. I've been a Christian for 40, 50, some of you 60, 70 years. I I get the fact that I'm justified before God, that I have standing with him because of what Jesus Christ has done. But surely, the way that I'm sanctified or I become more holy is that I have to do something so that I'm saved by grace 
And I remain saved by my works. Well, there is nothing further from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because again, if it's up to you to keep yourself in the favor of God, you will not do it. But here we're taught that it's by God's grace that you were both justified and are sanctified, being made holy before God. We are saved by the finished work of Christ and we remain saved by the finished work of Christ. That is why there's no such thing ultimately as a a sermon that's preached to non-believers and a separate sermon that's preached to believers because believers and non-believers both need to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. If you've been here and you say, well, I've been saved forever, what is your hope? Your hope is not in your holiness. Your hope is in the finished work of Christ. You remain saved according to his grace to you. We never, as Christians, get to move past the things that we believe. We never get to move past the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, again, it's of first importance. It's the thing that comes before everything else. You know that journey song that goes, Don't Stop Believing? All of you know that song. Don't stop believing. And so, okay, that journey singer, he says, What does he want you to hold on to? He wants you to hold on to that feeling, right? I don't want you to hold on to that feeling, though. Here's the thing. I want you to not stop believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do I want you to hold on to? What does Paul want you to hold on to? He wants you to hold on to Jesus Christ. So whether you're a Christian and have been a Christian for a long time, what is your hope? Your hope is Him and His finished work. If you're not a Christian, then I call you today to put your faith and your hope in your trust in Christ and His finished work. Don't stop believing. Hold on to Jesus. It's our only hope. Your hope comes from outside of you. Your hope does not come from inside of you to be good or to be great or any of those things. Your hope is only in Christ and His work for you. So here's the conclusion. The creeds, as one pastor called them, It's Christianity 101. It's the basics. We all need to understand the basics. Next week, we're going to jump into we believe in God, our Father Almighty. What does it mean to believe in God, the Father Almighty? These are the basics. These are the most important things of the Christian faith. These are the things that remind us of why it is we're united to all other Christians this morning. The church universal. I want you to understand that belief comes by hearing the good news. Belief comes by hearing what Christ has done for you. Have you heard the gospel? Or do you think the good news is what you do to make God happy with you? If you leave here this morning saying, okay, now it's up to me, you've missed the gospel. The good news is about Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Have you heard it? So what do you do now? Well, you leave believing in the Lord Jesus Christ And you respond to that belief by loving God and loving your neighbor. You respond to him by doing that. And then finally, the Lord's Supper, the the supper that we're all about to partake in, is the reminder of that gospel. We get this great picture every month of what Jesus Christ did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. We get to feel that bread in our hands and be reminded of the body of Christ that is broken. Why was he broken? Why did he suffer death? He suffered death and the wrath of God because you, because of your sin, would suffer that. 
and he put himself in your place. So the bread reminds you of that. And as we drink the wine or the grape juice, as you take that down, you're reminded of the blood of Christ spilt for you. It was your blood that should have been spilt, and yet Christ put himself in your place, spilling his blood so that yours would not have to be shed. The supper preaches Christ. It reminds us that our only hope is not ourselves, but is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you now to pray with me as we prepare to meet with the Lord in this supper. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you so much for giving us this word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can have hope in him. We thank you for his finished work. We thank you, Lord, that our faith and our hope is not in ourselves. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would, as you meet with us, that you would reveal yourself to us more and more. That our eyes would be lifted up and would see the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would see you. That our hope would not be in what our hands have done but that we would cling to the cross and the finished work of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would glorify your Son in our midst, that the Holy Spirit would be at work transforming our hearts, whether we're non-believers who need to believe for the first time or we're believers who are being called again and again to faith in Jesus. Lord, you are the one that does that for us, and we are dependent upon you for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.